Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. Hi, and I'm, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm going to be your host today on Archie Talk 101, and we have Mitch on the line with us, and we're going to talk to him about uh, what his archery journey is and what he's doing with it and where he plans on going. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Hey, thanks, Roy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, if you could introduce yourself and tell the listeners and watchers a little something about yourself. Yeah, my name is Mitch Newcomer. I uh, currently live in Waukini, Kansas, which is in the western half of the state. I was born and raised out here on the farm. Um, lived in Kansas City for around 10 years where I started my family with my wife and then uh, worked for Midwest Land Group and kind of got the opportunity to relocate back out here to western Kansas. And so I figured I would jump at the opportunity. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I have two daughters um, 10 and soon to be eight years old, and uh, they're working shooting crossbow and things like that. So they're kind of starting their uh, archery journey, I guess you could say, at this point. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I count archery a stick with a string flinging another stick, and a crossbow yeah. fits that, you know. So, um, gotta start somewhere. So, yeah. And nice thing about, you know, crossbows with the younger kids is they can shoot those higher poundages, and you can go out and hunt and don't have to worry about are they you know, pull enough weight to make that shot. And, and, you know, that's oh, exactly. And I like them too, for multiple reasons. One, it can serve as a backup bow for me. If for some reason something happens to my bow on November 7th, I don't really feel like sitting out at that point in time. And, you know, <laughs> and also it's interchangeable for my daughters to my wife. Um, they can all shoot it. They don't need their own specific bow with the poundages and everything set up specifically for them. So it does make a nice, you know, tool to use across multiple people. There's, you know, archery is not a cheap hobby. So before I go buy expensive bows, I at least want to make sure they're pretty serious about it first. So <laughs> right, right. And and everybody, you know, has their own or its reason for what they're shooting. And, you know, I like the compounds and, you know, I do have a recurve. Uh, my son's got a crossbow, but I haven't shot it, but you know, that's, that's nice about it because you don't have to worry about as much practice time as you do with a compound or as much of the recurve. Um, I'm not going to put in the work it takes to get good at shooting a recurve to go hunt with it. Exactly. You know, yeah. It boils down to time and making sure you're ethical when you're out there in the field and that you're, right. you're deadly with the weapon that you've got in your hands, you know, they're, excuse me, they're talking about trying to get into maybe going to kill a deer and stuff this fall. And so we've been working with it, but with all the activities and stuff they're in, there's no way they could be, you know, deadly with any type of bow other than a com or the, than a um, crossbow at this point. Crossbow, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's... So for those that are listening and watching, um, I just want to let you know that uh, we go live in the Archer Talk 101 Facebook group. Uh, so you can see it when we're recording it. And we also... Uh, the podcast is on Spotify and other places, as well as on Audible. And then you can also watch it on my YouTube channel. So if you're interested, you know, just get all this or some way getting hold of us. And, you know, let's let's just uh, um, talk about archery. You know, that's the, that's the things we like to do. And, you know, with that, uh, uh, one question for you, Mitch, how did you get started and, and why did you get started in archery? So, I mean, I've always been into hunting uh, from the time I could walk and carry a weapon. I've been wanting to do it. And, you know, really, it started with 
you know, your 22s and, you know, pellet guns and things of that nature. And even bows, you know, I had light poundage bows when I was young um, and always just, it was always about the hunting. I've just, it, it's always resonated with me, been fired up about it. I wasn't one of those kids that they had to like slowly get me into it. I was one, they almost had to hold me back a little bit because I just wanted to do it all the time. And so that meant hunting by any means, you know, including archery um really was into the bird hunting as a kid we had a couple short hairs growing up even guided hunts eventually in high school and into college there but that was kind of my first love of hunting um and then when i was young you know this the regulations have changed so much over the years you used to not be able to rifle hunt and things of that nature until you were you were older than than what right. they are now and so you know archery was my first opportunity to get into deer hunting and you know killing a deer when you're a kid is is kind of the a big goal especially out here and so you know, I remember the first bow that I, that I hunted with some was my dad's. I don't even know what brand it was. It was a compound bow. Um, it didn't have camo. It was wood. So he painted it up with his own camo and everything. And um, it was Easton aluminum arrows and things of that nature. And then eventually I think we got a, a bear that it was newer, but not much. And it was the same way, still aluminum arrows and all that. And I was hunting with those when I could. The tough part for me with archery was, I was in sports of all kinds growing up, played college football. So, I mean, really, I didn't dive into archery hunting until I got done with college, was able to buy my first what I call legitimate bow setup. Um, it was a ready to shoot package from Bass Pro Bear. Uh, but I killed a lot of deer with it. So that really, yeah. <laughs> once I got that and, you know, started using a release and things of that nature, because before I was just fingers on the string, aluminum arrows, and I did hunt, you know, when I could, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was hunting in areas that are not necessarily conducive to bow hunting. You're on the ground walking through CRP and things and just kind of trial and error. So I didn't have a ton of success in the, you know, my youth, but then, yeah, once I got out of college, got that bow and started going um, is when I really started having success. And that's when I really got into it more. So. Yeah, everybody's story is a little different, and it's always so neat listening to everybody's story, how they got started, and, you know, that's why I, I, I asked that question right up front. It's like, I, I'm interested, you know, how everybody got started. Everybody's story is different, and and it's just, you know, unique and, and exciting how different people get into it different ways, and, and you know, nice that you have, you know, your kids are in there shooting shooting bows and, and getting into the hunting, and it, it's just a whole lot of a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff and you know i know yeah. my kids started out young you know shooting bows and um you know my my oldest still shoots some my, my mm -hmm. youngest doesn't shoot much right now but you know hey <laughs> it's, know, they, it's they can always pick it up it's fun it's fun seeing them get into it and i'm excited to see kind of how this plays out it seems like my younger daughter right now is actually a little bit more into it than the older one is and so she was mad at me here uh last night because we couldn't go out and shoot the crossbow and it was just a little windy and we had some stuff going on i didn't want to be out there practicing in windy conditions and you know she's just trying to get it all figured out so i think she's yeah. going to be one that takes off with it definitely not strong enough to pull any type of you know bow back that could actually kill an animal it would have to be something very very light poundage but you know if she gets into it enough we'll we'll figure something out and we can kind of we can kind of see how this plays out so yeah you said she's just turning eight she'll turn eight in october october so, yep yeah they're, they're not going to pull more than about 10 pounds 15 exactly. pounds maybe 
and, and that's not enough to, to hunt with. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> so, maybe rabbits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, <laughs> that, but, that's uh, about it. But yeah, yeah, that's possible. Gets her in the field now, and yeah, and she's pretty accurate with it. So I mean, she says she wants to hunt this year. We'll see if she can stay consistent with it. And I mean, you know, we'll keep her shots within a certain range, and then you know, we'll probably try to get her out there at some point. So yeah, get get her out there, get her in the field, and it, you'll have a hunting partner for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly that's the hope so yeah you know it's always nice when you, you go out hunting with somebody and you know it's even better when if it's your own kids when you get out because it's exciting you know watching them you know take their first shot and and get their first animal it's like so i'm more excited about watching them do that than it is if i got my own you know yeah oh for sure yeah i know it will be and you know, I mean, even my wife, she didn't grow up hunting or anything. She's from a hunting family, but uh, she went out and got her first turkey here a couple springs ago and with a shotgun, but still just getting yeah. her into the hunting and seeing her, uh, the excitement that she had with that was pretty cool. So kind of getting the, uh, the whole family involved at this point. And really, she, you know, if we get an opportunity, she's, you know, we're both busy with work, so it's hard to find times right. for us to get out. But she's another one that hopefully we'll be getting out with the crossbow here at first and and seeing seeing how things play out so yeah that, that's that's a good step for that you know there's a lot of them don't you know don't think that you know that's a valid way to go but i think it's a great way to go you know and then later on they they, they may stay with the crossbow made to say hey you know what i want to try a compound yeah you, you know, know with, it's machines are gonna reload <laughs> yeah oh yeah with girls um you know me being a guy being a hunter, being a football player, all that, you expect to have boys eventually, and they're just going to follow in your path, you know, but with girls, it's a little bit different. I'm not saying, you know, some girls aren't ate up with it right out the gate and they want to, you know, just go dive right into it, but it's probably a little bit less common that way. I would say, at least for my girls, I mean, I think they have a, a like an outside interest, but they're not like, you know, I'd be waking my dad up at five in the morning wanting to go hunting when I was like five, six <laughs> years old, you know, they're not doing that type of stuff. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to ease them in it. I don't want them to get bored with it. I don't want them to lose interest to the point where they're like, you know, this isn't fun and they just want to go in a different direction. So, yeah, just keep it fun for them. You know, if they want to go out, take them out. If they don't want to go out, then don't. <laughs> exactly. And that's the way it is right now. It's definitely back burner for them. Um, but you know, I think they're starting to show a little bit more. They went out with me this year and I killed a turkey. And so they, you know, they got to see that. And so they're kind of, they're kind of starting to see some more. And, you know, they're the good thing is they're fairly patient, you know, out there, which is I guess probably kind of a nice thing about having girls. I think boys probably attention spans might be a little bit less on some of that <laughs> stuff, but uh I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So so that helps from that regard. So, but yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Our season opened up here. Um, September 11th in Kansas for for muzzleloader and archery and we had our youth season before that I think September 2nd through the 10th and we were hoping to maybe make it out but it was just terribly hot weather the whole youth season out here like triple digits a lot of it and bad winds and just we just didn't have anything to really slip out on so right now we're just kind of being patient watching the weather and practicing and and you know just getting ready for when the time is right so yeah, we've had a lot of the same weather because I'm just a little bit north of you in Nebraska, you know, in east east of part of Nebraska. So, yeah, that we got we had some pretty hot days in there, and it's like there's no way I'm gonna go out and try and hunt in that heat. You know, if yeah, you get I something, mean, I, you've got hours before the meat's gonna start spoiling because it's so hot out. 
Yes, exactly. And if you don't have a setup that you can just get it cleaned and in a cooler right away, that's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, guys are getting it done. There's no doubt. I've been seeing several guys killing some nice bucks already. So if you got a deer on pattern that you want to, that you want to get after, I mean, they're still super consistent, whether it's hot or not now. So, you know, if you can get it done, it's hard not to want to slip out, you know, if you've got a, a buck pattern that's showing up, you know, in daylight every night, but I did, that is something that entered my mind is just, what do you do with it once you kill it i mean you got to get that thing cleaned up quartered up right away on ice i mean right. you're gonna have, like you said it's good time is going to be of the essence for sure especially if you make a bad shot or a questionable shot and then you're leaving it sit well you could be dead for an hour you don't know you know and so right. um if you thought, think you hit liver and you clip back of both lungs in liver i mean he's going to die a lot sooner than you thought and he could be right. laying there for a few hours because you didn't want to go push in you know and so that's always in the back of your mind but you know that's what's nice about morning hunts because it's already it's cool mm-hmm. you get one, you got daylight to track it and, and and it's getting hot it's not already hot trying to cool off and you know that makes it that makes it a little bit nicer but we're gonna start getting a little cooler weather now so yeah yeah and i have i've been fortunate i think almost every buck i've killed has been in the morning um i did shoot one at 1 30 in the afternoon one time but that was you know that's still plenty of time to to go track yeah. at that point so but I'm, I'm kind of in a situation now where i can hunt more evenings um early season late season things like that you know i hate to push in on a morning right now unless you got a pretty dynamite access where you feel like you're not going to be you know running out i mean i guess at this point it, where i'm at is we, you know, we do eat a lot of venison. So meat is, uh, is something that we're after, but at the same time, I mean, I'm primarily hunting, you know, five plus year old bucks. So, you know, I, and usually specific deer. So I'm a little bit more strategic. A lot of times when I'm going into places and, you know, hunting mornings this time of year, I would do it if I had a, if I had a setup to where I feel like I could get in and not bump a bunch of deer, but I don't really, I don't really have that right now. So, um, yeah. But so primarily hunting evenings now, and then we'll switch to mornings here once we get into October and get some cooler weather and some more rut activity and things picking up. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's nice to have, uh, you know, options and, you know, the two properties that I have are uh, the one is mostly traveling at night, you know, so we got to get them coming there during the day and. They do come during the day once in a while, but not consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we just got to figure it out. There's a lot of coyotes there. So my goal this year is to try and get rid of some of the coyotes and yeah, kind of help for the deer. Cause there's a right there where they come through, they come through just for a light. There's, there's a den right there at that same spot. So <laughs> yep, yeah, time to get, get, get the coyotes reduced and, and yeah, I'm you seeing know, mostly a lot of nocturnal. I mean, I'm seeing some, you know, last 15 minutes of daylight right now, maybe first 30 in the morning, something like that. And I've got a couple bucks that are pushing it, but they're not, you know, they're just not consistent enough to really try to hunt. So we'll just wait. I mean, it's like I say, with the weather being hot, I'm not, it's not bothering me too much to be sitting out there in 90 degree heat sweating. So I'm fine <laughs> yeah. with waiting to get it a little cooler, but once they do, I mean, it's, it's hard if you got to a buck that's patterned up and showing consistently, you know, two or three days in a row, it's hard not to slip out if you got the right wind to try to get after him too. So right. you got to strike while the iron's hot, you know, so, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be, be good. What What is it you do um, for your regular job? So I'm a land agent with Midwest Land Group. So we sell, you know, ag farms, pasture, 
um, recreational build sites, homes on acreage, all of that. So, yep, we're based out of Leewood, Kansas, there in Kansas City area and kind of scattered across the Midwest. Probably if you have viewers across the Midwest, I'm sure they're starting to see us pop up all over the place at this point. So. Well, we have viewers all over the world, so. <laughs> there you go. Well, they're probably starting to see it if they look for look for land in the Midwest, hunting properties, things like that. I'm sure you're you're going to see us. So, what what's the name of your website? Midwestlandgroup.com. Type it right, Midwest Land Group. Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna share our screen for those watching. Um, see if we can. See that? That's the right website, right? Um, I can't see it. That's it. That's the one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me see. I definitely encourage people to go out, check it out, reach out if you have any questions about anything. If you're looking for something specific, um, you know, we've got a lot of good agents out there that can then go to work for you and, and find it. So, so let, let's just say you're looking for some good land um, for hunting you know, that, that may have a little creek or, or something going through it and forested areas and some crops. And uh, so you could kind of look for uh, something like that then, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. We've got, uh, you know, we take all of our buyers, what they're looking for, um, put it into our database. You know, we're always looking um, all the time. A lot of times we have stuff that comes up that, you know, doesn't even make it to the market. Maybe they don't want to list it for whatever reason. So it's always good to know what you're looking for, because it's probably going to be a lot easier for us to find it than for you to find it on your own, especially in this market where things are pretty hot. Um, you know, something with a good crick running through it, a little income is not going to last very long in this current market. So yeah, we can definitely go to work for you and find you find you what you're looking for. Sometimes it takes a little time for the right property to come along, but you know, we're we're always looking all the time. So I would definitely encourage anybody that that's something that they're looking for to reach out, get connected with an agent, um, you know, and, and have that discussion. Let them know exactly what you're looking for, what your budget is, um, where, what area, and, and let them go to work for you. Um, you know, specifically, I deal mostly just Western Kansas out here, anything pretty much in the Western half of the state. Um, be happy to help anybody out. So. But again, we've got agents all across uh, the the Midwest here. So, do you mostly listings just in the United States, then, isn't it? Yes. Yep. In the U.S., okay. we're I think in every state through the Midwest, besides North Dakota and I guess Texas, is, we're not down in Texas yet. But pretty much every other state through the Midwest, there we're in at this point. So, um, you know, like I say, started in 2014 and been the fastest growing land brokerage in the Midwest since that time. So we exploded throughout there pretty quick. I think we've got uh, I think close to 110 agents now across the Midwest right now. So, um, you know, if you're looking in one of those states, we've we've got somebody that can help you. Yeah, that's, that sounds good for anybody that, that wants to, you know, find a property. You know, it's it's nice to have your own property that's that's worth it. And then you can do all kinds of things with it if you have the right property. And It is incredible. It's, you know, it's something even as a kid, I would say, you know, hunting really created that desire for me to own land, you know, myself, just because I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to have any restrictions or have anybody telling me what I couldn't, couldn't do. So, you know, um, that was definitely a major goal for me and something I was able to accomplish, um, you know, here in recent years. And, you know, it's just incredible when you step on a, on a piece of property that's yours 
it's just a feeling like you can't describe to anybody else. And, you know, you have, you can do whatever you want, wherever you want to plant food plots, you put in water, you know, you have all the say. So stuff I hunted before, I've been very fortunate. I've had good access from from some good landowners to let me hunt some some really nice spots. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm still that I can't do it unless they approve it. And a lot of times they'd run cows in certain places or, you know, my season yeah. would be up kind of almost the end of November when they threw the cattle in or other spots where the cattle are summering out there and you're waiting for them to come out and get in. And, you know, and I know I, I've killed deer around cows before. Um, it's definitely doable. I'm not saying that it's not, but uh, you know, the problem, I, I don't think deer hate cattle, but cattle take down all the resources that the deer want too. So <laughs> once they knock all the cover down and eat all the food, there's not much left for the deer to be in there either. So just things like that, you know, when you own your own, you have full control over everything that's going on out there. And it's just a, it's pretty incredible feeling. So. Yeah. And if you get the right property, you can, you can make money by, you know, having guided hunts and stuff like that. You know, you can manage the property. If you have enough land, you can manage the size of the herd to pop, you know, the quality of the deer and, and exactly you can do all that so you can get all these nice bucks in there and you know i that place i hunt is like well okay if you don't shoot it somebody else might yeah <laughs> you know there is a lot the of property next like door is is that way and and you know we've been in some properties where um if it's a deer you might as well shoot it because come rifle season if it's a deer they shoot it they don't care how big yeah. or small it is yeah and, and there's there's no reason to let something pass let it grow up because it ain't growing up because it's probably gonna get shot in the next you know in the next rifle season and here in nebraska well, we run about uh, 10 days in november like yep. the second week in november um archery starts september 1st to december 31st and muzzleloader is the whole month of december so it's you know it's kind yeah, of nice, that's what i always tell people and you know i tell my friends and people that i you know have conversations about is you got to kind of hunt your hunt you know what you're aiming for is going to be dictated by what state are you in? What are the regulations? What are your neighbors like? You know, the neighborhood makes a big difference. You know, out here, I'm fortunate. I'm in a pretty good neighborhood. Um, you know, we're kind of on the same page. We like to stuff get stuff to five plus years old before we consider it, you know, a target buck. Um, Western Kansas, we're pretty lucky out here. We've got a pretty good buck to doe ratio. The ruts are very strong out here. So, you know, we are able to maybe do some things out here that somebody in, you know, Nebraska or Missouri or Michigan or somewhere wouldn't be able to do. I know when I first started with Midwest, I was in uh, Kansas City at the time working Northwest Missouri and I had hunted out of uh, um, Northwest Missouri quite a bit. Um, prior to, you know, you yep, to go buy a truck. My wife stopped in. She's getting ready to head out. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Good? Yeah. Okay. No, no worries. But <laughs> I was just saying I, I had hunted Northwest Missouri quite a bit, uh, too, in my time in wow. Kansas City there. And, um, you know, Missouri's the same as Nebraska. They've got their rifle season right during the middle of November. And, you know, every tree has an orange guy in it almost, it seems like. And I always tell people, you know, I don't know how any deer make it through that deer season sometimes, but they do, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's almost like a real life minesweeper out there where you just wonder what bomb those deer are going to step on at some point because, uh, 
there's an orange guy sitting in a lot of trees. If you go driving down the highway, you can see him. So, um, but yeah. that's, and that does make it difficult to have that older age class of deer. And I don't blame anybody for shooting, you know, whatever deer is going to make them happy. You gotta, you gotta hunt your hunt and shoot what makes you happy. And that's all that matters. But, you know, if you are wanting to hold out for that older age class of deer, that is going to make that more difficult when there's lots of, you know, two and three and four year olds getting shot every, you know, middle of November running around <laughs> during the rut. So it just, you know, yeah. it does, it's not conducive to having that higher age class unless you're in a neighborhood where everybody's kind of on the same page. That's kind of your only hope at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just all, all depends, you know, the, the, the property you're on and, and, you know, what's, what's going on. And, uh, you know, when, when you have so, so few actually going through during a daylight, you know, you, you can't be real picky. Sometimes you've got to yep. go through and it's like, okay. Um, you know, I'm going to shoot the does because yeah, they're on the cameras in the property. I, I was catching two bucks on all the cameras middle of the night. And then finally, one day I did catch a third buck. Um, but, you know, a lot of does going through at night, but, you know, there wasn't that many bucks coming through. You know, and I had cameras out there, you know, the whole season and, you know, till February. And I did finally catch a, a couple, you know, one day in the morning and at night, it was there during the day, you know, at, at the spot I think is probably the best, worst place to get a tree stand in, but mm -hmm. the best spot, I think. Sure. It, yeah yep just gotta hunt your hunt and kill what makes you happy so that's what you yeah. know that's the way it is so well and i tell a lot of not a lot of new you know bow hunters the first year that comes by shoot it I, I i told my daughter we're not you know it's like the first year comes by shoot it now after that let's talk about letting the fawns walk mm -hmm. well she had a doe and a fawn come in and she let the fawn go and she she took the doe um, but you know, after, after your first year, then, you know, let's, let's let the fawns go. And, and for the longest time, me, when I was hunting, it's like, I had no clue how to tell if it was a fawn or adult or nothing. I couldn't tell. I didn't mm -hmm. know. And, you know, you watch all these hunting shows and, you know, they're just showing you them killing these nice, great, big, huge rack bucks and stuff. And one of them one time made a mistake and actually taught something it's like, whoa. One time they taught something, how to mm -hmm. tell if it's a fawn or an adult. And you look at the nose to the back of the head and the eyes. And if the nose, from the eyes, the nose is longer than the eyes to the back of the head and it's an adult. Mm-hmm. are like, oh, okay. Well, that's, nobody ever said anything. You know, none of the things I've seen, you know, nobody said how to tell if it's an adult or, or, or a, a fawn. You know, they talk about, you know, the back starting to sway on the really old bucks and, and stuff. It's like, well, okay, you got to find one first. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? that's the problem with some of the, you know, and I, I like watching those shows too. It's fun to see big deer and big deer get killed and all of that. But, uh, you know, it's not practical for all people. You know, that's not that's not your average deer hunter on most of those shows. You know, you can't compete with that. And they're playing on a different level than than what we are most of the time, you know, for most people. And so you got to understand that. But yeah, it'd be nice if there was a little bit more education sometimes. And I think they're getting better about it. There's a lot of YouTube shows and stuff out there that they're doing because, you know, the episodes online or on the TV are 30 minutes and they're really about 20 minutes by the time you take out all the commercials and everything. Right. You only have 20 minutes to show all your content. And you don't really have much time to dive into the, you know, educational side of things. 
Um, but you know, they've all got their own separate channels, YouTube, everything like that now. And, and on there, they've got unlimited time. They can put as much content as they, as you want. So right. I would point people to those type of situations where, you know, if there's a show or somebody you like, they probably have a YouTube channel out there where you can really go and they're getting into the more, the uh, analytic hunting strategy, food plot strategy, all of that type of stuff, which is pretty cool to see because you know, that's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, it's good to get that content because that's honestly the stuff that I care more about than the watching them kill the deer. I mean, I like watching them kill the deer, too, but I, I crave more of the educational content that you can find on YouTube than than just the hunt that they show on TV. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, watching some of those, it, it, it just kind of drives me crazy on, on how bad their form is and their shooting style and everything. You know, you'll see them drawn across their chest, you know, trying to really force it and then bring it up and, you know, all that movement. It, yeah, I always tell my my archers when I get a new archer in here, if you can't slowly draw the bow, you're drawing too much weight. It's not mm -hmm. about the weight. It's about placement. Mm -hmm. You know, you can easily kill a deer at 52 pounds. You know, yeah. my first deer I was at 52 pounds and a grippy go heavy aluminum arrow with 145 grain tip and it was 40 yards away and I was 20 feet up in a tree and uh, that arrow almost went clean through, mm -hmm. you know, yep. shot placement, you know, as so, long as they're close enough, it doesn't, you know, matter and you hit them right. It doesn't matter. So yeah, they can stay off those shoulder blades and, and you're, you're generally pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy with some of the broadheads and stuff they have nowadays though. I mean, even if you, you know, it's pretty impressive with some of the technology that, that's out right now and how fast these bows are and you know the broadheads what they'll cut through and stuff so it's definitely come a long oh. ways but yeah generally i wouldn't want to not really looking to hit them in the shoulder but sometimes no. it happens well with the right broadhead as long as you don't hit that big bone in the middle of the shoulder blade mm -hmm. yeah i i blow through them no problem sure um, yep i shoot i shoot a muzzy three blade gotcha hunter grain and i've i've shattered bones with it and in fact i actually uh, when i had my archery store after work i was trying to shoot my broadheads i, I set up a broadhead target um because you can't shoot a regular backstop with broadheads just turn mm -hmm. it off and i probably shouldn't have been doing it but i missed i hit the concrete wall behind you know above the target that broadhead stuck in the concrete block it cracked the sh the insert and the shaft back about an inch. The shaft was laying on the ground. The broadhead was stuck in the concrete block. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I still use that broadhead. It did yep. not hurt that broadhead a bit. It, there you it go. went into the block, concrete block enough to stick into the block. Wow. Yeah, it's some of them they're shooting through like sheet metal and stuff with them to prove how. I mean, it's it's impressive, you know, what what's out there and you know, I don't know. I, I've gone back and forth between expandables and, and fixed blade. Um, you know, I like both for different reasons, um, you know, um, but I got a new bow here a couple of years ago. I, I stuck with that bear that I originally got back in 2010 or 11. Um, and I killed a lot of deer with it for a lot of years, but I just deci decided to um, update here a couple of years ago. And um, updated to a Matthews VXR. I just heard a lot about them and I shot them and I just really liked how smooth and, you know, I just really liked the feel for me. Um, and went to some micro diameter arrows and, you know, with some inserts. And then when I did that, I switched back to expandable because I thought, 
the speed and weight of those arrows would more than offset, you know, the reason I switched away from expandables with my old bow was because I didn't like the penetration I was getting. I was killing deer and I was hitting him in the heart, but I wasn't getting pass-throughs. And I was like, this I'm playing with fire here. One of these times, this isn't going to work. And then it did. I felt like I hit a deer pretty good actually. And what I think happened was the arrow deflected and stayed high instead of driving down through the deer, like it should have, because it was a pretty short range shot and I was mostly right. shooting down. And I mean, I, you can see the arrow hit the knock everything. And, and I was just like, that was kind of my go-to of, well, I'm switching to a, a fixed blade, you know, and I did that. Um, and, but then once I upgraded the bows, um, I went back to expandable mostly cause I was just, I couldn't get my, I just wasn't confident enough in the, uh, thick as the, expandables do so it was more of like a confidence i know that you can do it and i know there's ways to do it but when i'd go out in the backyard and practice i was not getting the same level of accuracy so then you know you got to be confident in your um and i feel pretty confident in the setup i've got now on and it, if you hit them just right you're going to be fine either way so that's kind of the way it works yeah well, and fixed blades are good at the slower speeds as the bows got faster and faster and faster. Fixed blades got harder and harder to control. So that's when you start getting the higher speeds. Uh, that's when the mechanicals, it's almost, you you got to go to a mechanical of some kind and find a good quality mechanical. And, um, you know, I had some guys on from Thunderhead Broadheads and looking at some of the stuff they had, man, they, they've got some pretty wicked looking stuff. And, you know, that's just one thing that, you know, you, you got to look at if you can't control your broadheads, you know, I, I set, I try to set my broadheads up depending on which shaft I'm using, but um, I want that broadhead to be able to hit the X-ring. I, I, I want the broadhead to hit the X-ring when I'm shooting in a single spot I want or a five spot. Yeah. I want to be able to gotcha. hit that X-ring. And on the worst, I'm just missing it. You know, it's mm -hmm. I, I want them to guide in there. I want them to be in there and shooting that that tight a group with them. And if I can't do that, then you know you have to tune them and stuff like that. You go to mechanicals, and you know, it, it helps on them. They're not going to shoot exactly like field tips because they're actually a little bit longer. So, yep. but at hunting range, you're probably not going to see any difference. You yeah, have to sight in a little bit, maybe a little bit different. I know on my hunting bow, which is a 2001 PSE Carrera, uh, my broadheads do not hit in the same place as my field tips. Mm -hmm. They're off by a couple inches, you know, off the side and down, I think it is. But all my broadheads hit in the same spot. So my bow is set up to shoot my broadheads. When I shoot field tips out of it, mm -hmm. it doesn't hit where I'm aiming. But I don't mm -hmm. care because I know mm -hmm. the broadheads do. Yep. Yeah, that's what that's what you got to do. And that's that's what it boiled down to again. Just, you know, the, the accuracy of the field tips with these fat with this faster bow and or not field tips, the accuracy of the expandables with the um the you know fixed blades. I just they weren't off by a ton, but they weren't they seemed to be inconsistent by how they were off. And then also they I don't know. It's off by enough to where you're like, I don't want to be guessing, you know, on where I'm shooting or trying to aim high and right or whatever. I just kind of want to know where I'm going to hit. And if I miss it's user error, it's not, you know, equipment error. So 
Um, right. anyway, that's kind of what it boiled down to again. And I, I think I could hit a shoulder with this setup and, you know, I might break an expandable blade off. Maybe I don't even, I don't know if it would or not, but, uh, I think it would rip in there and get in deep enough and still, still do what it needs to do. So I feel pretty confident in it. Um, so. Well, when you're using a mechanical, you try, you try to stay off the shoulder blade anyway. So, um, but you got ribs to hit. Mm -hmm. you know so if you hit a rib um you know with the muzzies i use if i hit a rib dead on it's just going to shatter the rib and just keep going through mm -hmm. uh, I, i've still gotten pass-throughs and hitting hitting major bones mm -hmm. i know I, I was shooting mine one time before i knew how to set up a bow i was shooting way too long a draw length and i shot and i heard the string hit my my jacket so i was like okay this is going to go somewhere weird um and it did it actually hit it in the thigh bone, on the back thigh bone, completely shattered it and still passed through. Wow. And, you know, of course, it didn't go very far, um, you know, because it didn't have a leg to really stand on. Um, For sure. It had three left, but still, they're not, you know, adapt to walking on one back leg and two front legs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just it just hit dead center. And you could see right where that point of that, that muzzy hit that and shattered it. Um, I've hit other bones and, and shattered them as well. And did the deer did the deer expire without a follow up, or did you have to put a follow up shot on it? I couldn't put a follow up because where it laid down, there was a tree between me and it, so gotcha. I couldn't get to the vitals. So I just had to sit there until you know finally that because I couldn't start getting down because then it would try to get up and run. Sure. And, and so it then, was enough though for it to expire and bleed right. out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it so, got an artery in the back. So sure. Um, you know, so it, it wasn't like it just hobbled off. Otherwise, you know, I'd got no one. But you know, sure. My thought is if I have more arrows and it's within shooting range, I'm gonna stick another arrow in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, once, anytime you can get another arrow in it, you you do. So yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes you, you make them bad shots and you're luck out and catch an artery. And mm -hmm. I, it I happens. Know that, uh, one time I was, uh, I always, when I'd practice, I would practice close, close my left eye. I'm, I shoot right-handed. So um, close the left eye when I practice, but I hunt, I hunt with them both of them open. And, you know, as you get older, you don't realize it, but you start getting a cataract form and your right eye is not as clear as it was. Well, I see two sets of pins. Gotcha. And the right eye is clear set of pins. The left eye is dim set of pins. Over the years, my mind just, I just ignore the left, the dimmer ones. They just don't even exist to me. I, I don't even notice them anymore. And, you know, with the right eye blurry, the left eye clear, guess what my mind picked up? The left eye on the pins. Yeah. And and I, I shot, I know that pin was right on that kill zone when I shot. And when we finally recovered it, I'd hit the artery in the back hip. And I'm like, I know that was not where I shot because it wasn't like running or nothing. It was just mm -hmm. kind of walking slowly and it wasn't, I wasn't that far away. So I went down to the range. Do I normally do target shoot? Nail it right where it's supposed to be. Open up both eyes. I missed by about, well, I was shooting at a five spot, the right side target, and I completely missed the paper to the left at 20 yards. I was off by that much. Wow. And that's be the wrong eye picking up the pins. So so then I was out and I'm you know blinking my left eye to try and you know force me to pick up the right pin. 
and, and then I always wear a baseball cap. And then I noticed one time I had a, a hooded sweatshirt on. I turned my head and it blocked my left eye. I was like, that's the key. When I hunt, I'll have a, a hooded sweatshirt on. And when I turn my head, my left eye is blocked. So I can't see the pins with my left eye. I can only see with the right eye. And gotcha. Problem solved. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a way around it. And, you know, that's that's kind of the fun things to figure out how to get around some of the problems you have. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't have have that. I, I just... I guess if it came down to it, you could always shut your left eye too, you know, if it, if that's what you yeah. have, but uh, you know, but I can understand why you want to have both of them open too, but yeah, you're essentially you blocking it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I just, when I hunt, I just, for some reason I have both eyes open when I target, I'm, I'm focused on, you know, blocking everything out. And nice thing about having both eyes open is you can see things going on. Yep you know where if you close your eyes all you're seeing is what's through your sight so yep, you don't exactly. you can't really pick up okay now there's a tree showing up i won't see it with my right eye but left eye i can see that there's a tree there and then when i draw back you know of course that's when it gets blocked because until mm -hmm. then you know I, I haven't blocked my left eye but as once i'm full drawing my anchor point then now i have blocked that that left eye and you know there's ways around it for sure you know? <laughs> just got to figure out what works for you so yeah yeah that's you always got to have little little problems that you got to solve and you know sometimes you know solving a problem for somebody is is kind of the fun part yeah, you know, figuring, oh, out, yeah. figuring out how to, how to solve that problem and um here in here in nebraska they have the um, missouri river outdoor expo and just that was last weekend and we had a problem that uh we were solving up there um the the one lady from game parks that runs it i've known her for almost 30 years now but uh, uh we had we had, we were doing what they call aerial archery which is a big foam disc that you launch and then you shoot at it with with your your recurve bows and you have a big you know ball on the end of it and 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 hit them and this this late young lady well i couldn't find her she's like in her 30s she was missing from about the wrist forward on her left hand she was interested in archery. So Christy goes over and grabs a, an arm guard, sticks it on there, take another arm guard, wraps it around the bow, and she's over shooting a bow. Hmm. They had over there shooting a bow. And then she hooked him up with uh, um, Matt Stutzman, which is um, the armless archer. He has no arms. And so the, he hooked up with somebody else to to get her get her going. But hey, awesome. there's, there's, there's nothing that should stop you oh um, yeah if you don't have arms or legs that might be a little difficult but if yeah. you have two legs um or one leg and an arm or something there's always a way that you can shoot oh yeah and, i see some guys doing some pretty impressive stuff with just their legs so you know yeah. which, that takes some quite an athletic feat sometimes too to do that i'm not sure everybody could do that but if you want to bad enough i suppose you're gonna figure yeah. out okay. so well and i'll have matt on the uh, the podcast one of these days um here coming up soon so you know if you if you're listening you know make sure you stay tuned and because i know that'd be an interesting story to, to talk to him i've i mean for, for the sure. first time i'd seen a video of him shooting in in the paralympics and and then last year at the outdoor expo he was there and i met him for the first time and then he was up there again this year and i talked to him again and and you know so we'll we'll get him on here one of these days and and talk with him it'll be interesting story i'm sure of that 
For sure. Yeah, sounds like it. So back to you, which is really why we're on here is to talk to you about your archery. Um, what Do you have any other plans other than just maybe hunting? Are you going to do any target shooting or, you know, where, where are you plan on taking it? Uh, I mean, I pretty much target shoot to hunt. I mean, I, I enjoy target shooting in the backyard and I am, you know, sometimes I am a guy that I have to force myself, but like, it's like, oh, it's that time of year. You need to start shooting, you know, it's, you know, time gets away from you. And so then I'll try to get out in mornings, evenings when it's cool and shoot. Cause I do want to make sure that I am, you know, when I'm going to the field, I'm confident and I feel good about it. I'm not just walking out there and don't shoot, but uh, no, I mean, I, I shoot to hunt pretty much. Like I don't, I, I would probably shoot sparingly if I wasn't a hunter. So uh, more or less, I do what I got to do to get ready for season. And then, you know, once I'm out there, I mean, th- that's, that's why I target shoot. So um, kind of really though, the main goal at this point is just continuing to work with the girls and my wife and kind of get them rolling and see if yeah. we, maybe that will create, you know, that'll be another reason for me to, get fired up about it and, and do it more often, but I don't do it competitively or anything like that. Um, I do enjoy, like, if you can get a group of buddies together and go out and shoot, just, you know, the camaraderie just makes it more fun than shooting by yourself in the backyard. But that's mostly what I do is shoot by myself in the backyard, getting ready for season. You know, I mean, if I can go fling, you know, 12, 15 arrows uh, in a morning and then do it again in the evening, you know, it's, you know, that's kind of how I get prepped and ready for the season. So um try not to shoot. I really don't like shooting too many times at once because I just feel like it's not realistic for when you're hunting. I mean, really you're pulling back and getting one shot, you know? So I try to, I try to make it as realistic as possible where, you know, your, your first shot, you know, we'll see if you're going to kill the, the animal or not. <laughs> And then, you know, you get into form, you need to do it. You need to get that form down and get used to it, find your anchor point going through it. So that way, when you get out in the field, it's second nature to you. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not out there shooting 50 times or something like that either. So. Yeah, I, I kind of like you, I, uh, I shoot spots to develop my skill to know that if I put my pin, I can hit what I'm aiming at. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to 3D shoots and develop my skill of judging yardages. Um, because you go to a 3D shoot, where you hit on the deer on the targets is not where you're going to shoot a real animal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they, they might have that low, low target, but if you aim at that target, that same spot when you're hunting, you're not gonna have a good shot. You may not even completely hit the heart, you know, depending on yeah. the angle, you might have a bottom exit, which means no blood trail. So where you shoot, but the idea of picking your spot, uh, which I failed to do a couple times, <laughs> you know, I, I drew mm-hmm. back and shot at this deer and I completely missed it. I don't know how I missed it. So I had a field tip with me. So I picked out a leaf and I hit the leaf. And then I think, you know what? I just pointed the bow and shot. I forgot to aim. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it happens, you know, you, you forget oh, yeah. to aim and and you know yeah that's what's nice about the three is is you pick that spot you know say okay here's where i'm going to shoot it that's that's what i'm going to shoot and yep well and then you got to factor other other things into it too in a hunting scenario i mean you know how far away is the animal is it going to duck you know things that nature everybody's a little different with what they do there personally i don't like taking shots over 30 yards at an animal just because 
I don't want to predict whether or not they're going to, they're going to duck, you know, at 30 with a fast bow, you know, you hope that most times if you aim hard, you're going to get the lungs if they do duck a little bit, you know, but when you start getting outside 40 and 50 yards, I mean, you really gotta, you really gotta aim low almost and, and, you know, anticipating a duck, but sometimes they don't duck. So, I mean, but that's far enough out that most of the time talk to people, you know, they're going to usually duck to some degree, you know, 40 plus yards. Um, And so how much, you know, I guess, I don't know. That's to each their own at that point. So, yeah. I know my my first deer was forty yards away. Um, one deer I shot. My second shot on it was thirty. Um, other than that, I'm not sure if I've had many at twenty. I've had more of them at ten, fifteen than mm-hmm. I have at twenty, mm-hmm. and. I've had some so close as like, okay, I can't shoot you. You're walking underneath my tree stand. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's, I can't get a good shot on it. And, and, Most of and my I shots can't... have been inside of 15 yards. I've shot a few at 30, 25, um, you know, but yeah, those are actually more rare. Most of the time I, I've had very close range shots. I set, set up to, you know, to try to create scenarios where I'm getting close range shots and they're, you know, 10, 15 yard shots. Most of the time, to be honest with you, um, that is one thing I've thought about maybe getting into a recurve and shooting a little bit, just because it would be cool to kill a a deer with a recurve. And and most of my shot opportunities are close enough to where that would be feasible to do. So, but then you're going to have to get out there and practice more. And like you said earlier, I mean, I'd have to feel confident and comfortable that I could kill the thing uh, with the recurve. So time is kind of my issue right now with something like that. So yeah, we we all have those time problems. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You you know, no matter what's going on. And um, I retired a couple of years ago and, and I just recently here about three weeks ago, I got offered a job I couldn't refuse. Uh, so I went back and, and, and I'm working. So now, you know, I got that 40 hour a week job and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's about 40 minute drive to and from work. And, you know, so, um, but you know, it's going to give me a little extra money for, for my, my toys and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You gotta, I don't know, you gotta do it. Um, but yeah, that, that creates the tr- time crunch for sure, you know, so that's yeah. what I'm dealing with between work and, kids and kids activities and all of that stuff it you know there's it's definitely hard and that's that's where shooting the bow even gets more difficult even the compound you know but you that's where i say i gotta i gotta really you know not force myself i don't know that's the right but it's more like remember oh hey you need a you know season's coming up it comes you know comes fast and you're not ready for it and so i really gotta you know it needs to be uh on my mind to get out and shoot in the mornings and evenings when i do have a little bit of time um you know and so that's the the older you get sometimes that can be difficult so (laughs) yeah well and and i the mornings now is going to be a little tough because i i start work at seven uh, Mm -hmm. so i can get off earlier Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that way I could leave three thirty, four o'clock, depending on, you know, what's going on and, and, you know, it's about a 40 minute drive home. So, you know, leave today at, at just about four and get home just in time to start the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, I got down and sat down and started it and a couple minutes later, we're going. Yep. <laughs> you know, right now it, you almost have a couple, 
enough time to slip out after work for deer hunting, but it won't be long. And, you know, you won't have time for that. So yeah. I mean, kind of nice in the early season, you can, you can sneak some evening hunts in if you, you know, if you can get home quick and get out there and, you know, they're not usually moving too early this time of year. So, but uh, that won't be even be an option here um, shortly. So no, well, and I, I could, you know, if I wanted to leave earlier one day, I could, you know, just say, Hey, you know, I want to leave it three o'clock today and sure okay you know so i just mm-hmm. i generally get more of my 40 in anyway so um i only i don't have vacation because i'm a contractor so yeah you know, well it sounds like I, they wanted you so you're probably you're probably <laughs> pretty okay yeah yeah i have a um big old project that we're working on and so it's going to take a while just gathering information is going to take a while <laughs> mm-hmm So out of, I know you do a lot of hunting. What's been your most challenging hunt you've had so far? I mean, from a bow perspective, I would say just whitetails here in the Midwest. I mean, I, I generally at this point am picking out a deer or two um, that I'm hunting, usually one deer at first and then there's a backup plan or something you know so you know i think every deer is their own challenge some are easier than others obviously but uh you know i can't i did shoot a deer um back in 2016 that i was getting him on camera all the time um but i just could could never get eyes on him the year before he broke off his main beam just outside the brow tine. So he kind of got the pass that year, but then the next year he, he grew back out and he was a little bigger than he was the year before. And so I hunted him really hard actually. And that was when I was living in Kansas city too. So I, and this deer was out in Western Kansas. So I was going four hours round trip to hunt him. And I was, you know, at that point in time, I was working for a, you know, corporation there in Kansas city. And so I was like your standard Monday through Friday job. And I would save a lot of my vacation time for, you know, November basically. And I would, I was taking off uh, Fridays and Mondays um, and I would drive back. I would work for three days and then I would be back hunting him for four days. But, you know, a lot of times you go back and the winds aren't right. And, you know, Western Kansas, we get a lot of wind out here and winds can be crazy. And so there were several times with, with that deer, I just had to like, I, I couldn't hunt here. I'm driving all the way out and there were days where I couldn't even sit for him. But I think I, no, that was a different deer that's popping in my head there, but no. So, but I was hunting him hard when I could with the winds, um, got back uh, for one weekend and it was uh veterans day that I was out in the stand and it was, you know, I think it was in the eighties, it was hot. And I had, I had hunted that morning and I was putting up a decoy. I actually hunt over decoys quite a bit out here. And uh, there was a, just a deep buck growl grunt behind me and came up. I was crawling up into my stand and eventually he walked off downwind. I think, you know, at the time I I was confident it was him, you know, I just, I don't know any other deer that could have made that deep of a, of a grunt out in that area. And so I got set up and at about noon, my, you know, 
my mind was getting the best of me. I had to get down and check my trail camera that I had right there just to see, cause I I'd never even seen this deer in person yet at that point in time. Well, I went and checked the, ran up to the truck, checked the trail camera and that buck was on camera four different times that night throughout the night. And so I was more confident than ever that that was him. He was just running up and down that creek looking for does and um, got back in the stand. And I was kind of in a bad mood because it was hot and, you know, just wasn't having <laughs> yeah. luck and I hadn't even seen him yet. And I'd hunted quite a few times for him at that point. And I generally do all day sits during November, especially when I was coming all the way back from that far right. away. I'm sitting all day. So those can be some long sits, you know? And so, but, uh, I got up at one 30 and was going to look around. I'm like, I might as well look around. It's hot. I'm sweating kind of a bitter attitude and go to reach for my binoculars and, here he's he's actually walking at me down the trail and he sees me reach for my binoculars and we just kind of had a like a one or two minute standoff where I'm staring at him and he's staring at me but right before I left to go check that trail camera card I actually took the decoy and I put it right underneath the base of my tree because um the wind was actually switched to my back and I was like well but it'll fly over me but I'm gonna put him right at the base of my tree so he'll circle right out in front and sure enough I'm glad I did that because we stare we had a stare off for probably a minute or two but then he looked and saw that decoy and then he flicked his tail and and he came right in I shot him at like two yards from the base of my tree and <laughs> and that's my biggest buck to date as well and that was the only time I've ever ever seen the deer I didn't have any daylight pictures of the deer nothing so um that one was definitely uh you know that was a good test right there for sure yeah yeah that that's that's something when when he catches you moving and still comes in <laughs> yeah you don't get away with it too often but the fact that i had put that decoy right under the base of my tree was my saving grace on that one because you know if i'd have even had it out away from the tree it wouldn't have worked it was the fact that it was just close enough and he was right there and if it wasn't for that i never would have got away with it so yeah he probably seen you move it and then you know you froze and then now he's looking at the dough and and it's like well okay i'm gonna come in yep. and get some of the dough <laughs> it was a buck decoy actually oh I, buck decoy. I, oh, yeah, okay. I only generally hunt with a buck decoy out here i do have a doe that i use from time to time um during the rut if i'm trying to put a, i'll usually use a buck and a doe sometimes well i will use the doe sometimes if i'm just i do a lot of low hanging tree stands out here because we got a lot of locust trees and goofy trees and so sometimes i'll just want something out there to take um, focus off of me because I am sitting so low. And if I don't want something aggressive, it's not right time of year. I don't want to use a buck, then I will. That's what I'll use the dough for. So, but outside of that during November, late October, um, out here in Western Kansas, those buck decoys can just be crazy good because the, like I said, we do have such a good buck to doe ratio out here and the bucks out here are so aggressive. So, um, I've shot a lot of my, uh, bucks with a buck decoy. Yeah, when you have that, you know, having a, the buck, then they're going to want to come in and chase them off. And uh, exactly. you know, that would be really good when you have a high buck to doe ratio. Yep. And it's fun hunting. The only problem with it, you know, is if you don't get to those bucks before mid-November, a lot of them aren't carrying around all their points, you know, by by that point, just because they are so aggressive. They bust up real easy. It's hard to find an oh. intact buck by late November out here and, you know, in some places. So at least breaking off something so yeah <laughs> yeah that's 
yeah, that's uh, um, always the challenge when you have a lot of aggressive bucks, they're going to get their antlers broken. Exactly. Yep. It's a good problem to have, but you know, if you're, yeah. you know, it's always bad. It's kind of nice when you shoot them and they're not all busted up. That's for sure. You know, we've had it, it's saved quite a few deer out here, you know, over the years that got too broken up and we didn't want to, we let him go another year. Just like I said, that was kind of his case the year before where he broke off his main beam and got the pass that year. Um, so uh, it helped him get through and, and he was bigger the next year. So I guess it worked out. Yeah. They're going to get bigger and bigger to a point and then they're going to start getting, you know, a little, not as good at racks and, and yep. see him getting a little, little taller, taller and taller. And then they start getting fatter and fatter, a little shorter. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, Yep. I've yeah. got one on camera right now. He's got to be about the oldest deer I've ever seen. I don't, I mean, he just, you look at his body and he just, I've never seen anything like him. He's just kind of round and he just looks like a, a grandpa buck. I mean, he just is <laughs> kind of pudgy and round and his rack, you can tell is, it's actually not, it's not terrible, but you can tell back in his day, he probably was a lot better than what he is right now i just it's weird to look at him because you hardly see deer get to that age like i i would love to know how old this deer is i mean i i think he could be pushing double digits that's how old that's how old i think he is he just looks like something i've never seen before yeah the only way to find out is is that to shoot it and look at the teeth yeah, yeah. unfortunately with kansas being a one back uh buck state you don't uh always want to put your tag on that deer sometimes you know <laughs> it is what it is but you know usually we generally have bigger deer to go after and so you're trying you know you don't want to kill it. it's just it's unfortunate but you know if you can find a buddy or somebody that's just wanting to get out and they don't or you know find somebody that doesn't have a spot and they want to go kill him sometimes you can leverage that opportunity but for me yeah. personally i'll have two or three bigger deer to go chase around and so i probably wouldn't kill him but he'd also be a great you know buck for a kid or you know oh yeah life or whatever so i wonder if you keep track of where he goes you know if he just dies of old age you can find his rack <laughs> he might he's been he's been a pretty good homebody on the farm so um you know wouldn't be i i didn't know if he would make it through last year i mean as he just looked rough and we had pretty cold winter out here and i mean he yeah. his back was all busted up i mean it was busted down to just nubs sticking out on each side last year and so i mean i didn't know if he'd make it or not i mean he's definitely getting to that age where he could very easily die of old age um some winter so yeah yeah, it'd be interesting to, you know, if, if you do get a chance to uh, to age it, to see how old that was. Oh, yeah. If we do, and we've got some different people, too, we might try to get on him. So if we do, I'll, I would definitely have to send his teeth in and get uh, get the age done on him. I've been doing that uh, lately with several of the bucks that I've been shooting just because it is kind of interesting to know how old they were um, versus what you thought because – you know, I mean, realistically, unless you've got multiple years of history with the deer from a young age, you don't really know how old they are unless you, you know, send their teeth in. I mean, deer, yeah. deer like people, you know, some of them mature faster and get bigger and they're, they're just like us. So it's, it, unless you've got that history, you don't really know. Yeah. You don't know when you, when you catch them on camera next year, you know, if you've had them on camera for a few years, then then you know that that's you know the same one but exactly um you know you just i've seen charts you look at 
you look at the chart, look at their teeth, and it'll tell you about basically how old they are. Because the older mm -hmm. they get, then less and less teeth they have. And eventually, they don't have enough teeth to chew anything. So then, you know, they're going to basically starve. Mm -hmm. and at that point, you might as well kill it and at least get something out of it. Mm -hmm. now, I don't know how well the, the what the meat would be like, but uh, um, there's always ways of fixing fixing uh, venison to to make it taste good. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know I've ate some pretty old bucks that people would tell you would be terrible, and I've always thought they tasted just fine if you cook them right and you know you know what you're cooking. You know, I killed one a few years ago that aged out to eight and a half. Um, you know, and I is back straps and they tasted just fine. So, yeah, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's just all in how you fix it. You know, that's the thing I, I learned a long time ago is, you know, with venison, you know, deer meat is, is one of those that you do not want to overcook. Exactly. Uh, overcooked. It's terrible. Um, it, it's almost better to be, you know, on the rare side than the, the well side. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I think sure. more in medium, medium rare is, uh, um, it's overcooked and you know, I agree. Cook them yep. slow. Don't, don't cook them on high heat because you're going to overcook them. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoy them. I, I, I haven't had any issue with the older bucks, you know, cooking up their back straps and things like that. And it's always been good. I tend to keep it more on the medium, medium rare side of things as well. And, and also I tell people too, like, I don't, no, people say it's gamey. I, I I don't think it's gamey. I don't think there is such a thing as gamey. I think that it's venison and it's not beef. And, you know, just like pork doesn't taste like beef and elk doesn't right. taste like beef. They just all kind of have their own flavor. Um, I think they've kind of created this word to mean that it's not beef. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you understand, it's going to taste a little different than beef. But if it's cooked right, it's going to be really good. Um, and right. if you, that's the mental side of it. I don't know. We don't have any issue getting rid of our deer around here. So yeah. Um, well, and part of it too is uh, the fat on a deer smells nasty when you're cooking it, and tastes nasty when you're cooking it. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't removed all the fat from it, and, and the the tendons and the the sinew and stuff like that, yeah, you haven't removed all that. That's going to give you a bad flavor. For sure. Yep. You, you know Your the difference between. Yeah. The, the difference between the ground that I grind up versus the ground that you get from the butcher is not even the same. Yeah. You know, you can smell the difference when you're cooking them because they have some fat because they don't trim all the fat off. There's some fat in it. So you can smell it when you're cooking it and cause taste it. And yeah, well, I'll tell you this, though, too. I mean, I still think mentally it's in people's heads a lot because I've had people say, you know, I, I would never eat deer and you know, I've never had it and I would never eat. It. It's just nasty and this and that. And I don't really want to tell them, but they've had deer a lot at my house. They just didn't realize they were eating it because um, <laughs> we don't, I mean, all of our ground meat and a lot of the meat we're using is venison and they eat it up and don't ask any questions. So like I said, they might think that they don't like deer, but they went back for seconds a lot of times. So um, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I was guessing, and then it's like, oh man, this is good. What is it? It's yeah. here. Oh no, oh nasty. It's like you just said you liked it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's more mental for most people than anything. Truly, if it's cooked yeah. right, it's going to be more mental than anything. So you know, it's it's meat. You know, you exactly. Snakes, you eat gators. You eat fish. You eat you know deer. Um, 
some will eat cones and all oh, kinds yeah. of egg things. So, you know, it's meat, you know, as long as it's not spoiled, mm-hmm. you know, or has any parasites or something in it, you know, some you might have to cook a little bit more mm-hmm. um, to make sure you get all the parasites, you know, in them. But nice thing about eating deer is there's no growth hormones in it. There's no mm-hmm. antibiotics. There's no additives in it. It's pure um, organic meat. Mm-hmm. You have to pay extra to get a cow that's organic like that. Exactly. Because they inject them with all these chemicals and stuff, you know, keep from getting diseases and, you know, just get a buffalo. They don't have the problems that cows do. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, people pay a lot of money for organic meat and, you know, with game meat, you can go out and get some of the best, cleanest, you know, highest protein levels game meat most of the time is. And, you know, and it's, essentially free, you know, outside of the cost of a tag. And, and then it's your hobby too. You know, I mean, a lot of people tell you, well, yeah, you know, but you pay a lot of money. It's your hobby and this and that. I'm like, yeah, but you golf and pay a lot of money and you don't get to come home with a bunch of meat, you know, (laughs) so, um, you know, yeah, it's my hobby and it's what I do, but it's kind of a nice perk that you fill your freezer, you know, every year with organic (laughs) meat you know so definitely a perk for sure and and, you know last time I was at the grocery store meat prices were pretty high so it's kind of nice to be able to offset that some with stuff that you were able to get yourself so yeah and I know there for a while we had so much venison that you know when I'd have beef it's like oh this tastes funny what is it oh yeah that's that's just cow Uh, (laughs) you know you get used to it and and learn how to cook it and it's like really good and um, for sure the the best meat I ever had was what time I took the back straps out, fired up the grill, and I threw them on the grill, and I'm cooking them. And you know, the back straps kind of taper down. So as it get done, I put my fork in it and I cut off the end of it and ate it. So I'm cutting off the ends as it's cooking and getting to that medium rare. So I'm putting my fork in it and cutting off and eating it right off the grill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah, can't you know, get can't get better than that. Yeah. And now if you go to one of these, um, you know, real high, high quality restaurants that, you know, have the, uh, the guy out there that checks all the food for it goes out and stuff. We went and had one of those one time, um, was down in uh, Missouri or someplace. I forget now, but I ordered a steak medium rare. And this thing was, oh, good. Probably two inches thick. And there was a little brown on the outside and the rest was medium rare inside. It was like perfectly cooked. Like, mm-hmm. man, I've never had a steak that good cooked in a restaurant, you know, mm-hmm. short of the one I've eaten off the grill. Um, you know, normally I I just don't bother ordering steaks at restaurants because most of the time they don't cook them right anyway. They're either overcooked or they're not cooked. I know one time I went to this restaurant, I cut into it, and it was a little bit rare. So I sent it back and I says, needs about 30 seconds more. And he, yeah, he's the cook. So yeah, I, I put it on about 30 seconds and finished cooking it. You know, he missed the perfect mm-hmm. cook by by 30 seconds but mm-hmm. you know other than that you don't normally find them we went to one restaurant three times they had to cook the steak and still got it wrong mm-hmm. like yeah medium I, generally, rare. I generally don't i generally don't order steaks at restaurants either for that same reason i mean you just i'd rather them undercook it i suppose and overcook it because once that's done it's done but uh right at the same time for the price you're paying and what you get back most of the time um it's just not worth it to me i'd rather just do it at home so yeah give me a hamburger <laughs> yeah I, I don't have to worry about being chewy and yeah exactly. and there if you cook it well done you're okay if you cook it a little bit medium 
medium, a little pink inside is fine on a, on a hamburger. But, exactly. Um, you know, if it's cooked completely, it's it's not like it's not good to eat. <laughs> Usually, I tell them medium, and it comes back well done, and it it just is what it is. So, but with the burger, that's not as big of a deal as it is with a steak. Yeah. Yeah, I know when we was up at the, the thing, uh, that one place had lamb. I don't know what they call it. They marinated it and stuff. And uh, the one lady um, that was up there with us, uh, she bought some of the stuff. And and I, I tried one of the pieces. And yeah, well, it was well done. You know, it was, it was overcooked. Mm-hmm. But it was still good. And it wasn't like it was real hard to chew. But I think it was it was overdone. But, um, you know, when you do something like that, you're going to cook them all well done. You're not going to have anything with any pink in it because some people get paranoid and sure. And like, they don't understand, you know, most meats, you can have a little bit of pink in them and even pork, you can have a slight amount in there. Yeah. You know, you can still have a little bit in there. You don't have to cook them well done. Every time you cook them well done, it's like, it gets, it's just chewy and hard. You got to put, you know, a whole bunch of stuff on it and, yeah, for them to be a little bit juicier inside. And- well, and that's the same way with like game birds, too. I mean, I think, you know, there's all the because of the way chickens processed and turkeys processed at the store, you got to make sure it's cooked well done because you don't want to <laughs> risk getting sick or whatever. But when it comes to, you know, pheasants, quail, ducks, geese, like you really you don't want to cook any of that completely well done either. I'm not saying you're eating it medium rare, but at the same no. time you're you're keeping it a hair underdone to to keep that juice and, and flavor in there too so because you can if you dry out pheasant it's going to be like chewing on rubber you know if you if you right so i just think game meat in general you know you always need to air on the side of cooking it a little bit less than you would anything else so yeah it, it's different the way the commercially you have to almost cook it well done um you know like the chicken because you don't know um, you know, there's salmonella in it. If you don't cook it mm-hmm. all the way, then you're going to eat and take a chance on that. And yeah, it's just so much better. And yeah, but that's, that's all caused by the, that's all caused from like the cross contamination of the way they package and, and right. everything through water. That's why it just spreads like crazy. That's why with chicken, you have to, to do all that because it probably is getting packaged with other stuff that has, you know, something nasty in it. So you just can't take the risk, but you know, a pheasant that you got out of the CRP that morning is you're not going to have to worry about that. So um, no, makes it kind of nice. So. Yeah. And that's why I have a garden, you know, I grow, grow my own veggies and stuff like that in there. Cause it's, you know, I don't have to worry about you. They're spraying the waxes on them and you you know, you you get like a Mm -hmm. cucumber and stuff. Some of that stuff. It's like, I look at it in the store. It's like, I compost them when they look like that. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing them out and they want, you want me to buy it. I've already composted better food than that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm used to the good quality and tomatoes. Like I, if I go someplace, they got tomatoes. You can put them on and open them. I really don't care because they don't taste like tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, and you used to, they're red and ripe and you pick them off there and the, the tomatoes are red instead of being pink and, Mm-hmm. yeah it's the same thing you know learn, learn oh, yeah. to grow crops and hunt yourself because you're always going to have food exactly right you know yeah, it's going to be better no food in the grocery stores yeah okay i got food here i've grown and saved and um maybe you know what i'll grab my bow or my gun and, and go get meat 
<laughs> exactly. You know, it seems crazy yeah. to say stuff like that. But at the same time, I mean, you look at some of the things I'm sure, you know, a lot of people don't think it could ever get to that point. But even during COVID, when you went and saw some of the meat shortages at grocery stores and different things, I mean, when you have supply chains get disturbed like that, if we ever see another round of that, I mean, you never know if you're <laughs> maybe the only meat you'll be able to put on the table for at least short a short term could be something yeah. you got yourself. So you don't know. I mean, I didn't think we would see what we saw with COVID, you know, with all the shortages on everything. And, you know, I never expected to see something like that over here in my lifetime or whatever. So you just, you never know what you're going to run into, but it does give you a little bit of a sense of security of, I can go out and and provide for myself if, if I need to, you know, so. Yeah. And, and that's the nice thing about, you know, archery, because you can do it where, um, you know, where you may not be able to shoot a, a gun. Yep. You know, there, there may be some places where there's too many houses around, but yet I can shoot my bow. Uh, I can shoot my bow in a backyard. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a little village, there's only about 168 people here, but um, I can go half a mile down the road and shoot my guns if I want. Um, exactly. You can shoot you know, it a lot more and you can, it's a lot cheaper, you know, once you've got your yeah. setup, I mean, you can shoot the same arrows over and over and over and over again. And, you yeah. know, it's just somebody that likes to shoot archery is definitely the ticket. It's going to be a lot cheaper than, you know, firearm shooting targets, things like oh, that. Yeah. So, but well, also like with a lot of the uh, inner city hunts and stuff they've got going on now, I know in Kansas city, they had a lot of open hunts where you could apply for a bunch of different parks around where things are overpopulated. So, I mean, you're going to have more access uh, with archery right. than you are with a firearm, no doubt about it. And places that you can hunt and get in on some of the more limited draw type stuff that are going to be archery only. So um, yeah, that's, that's definitely brings a lot to the table. Well, and if you go around the farmers asking and tell them you, you're, you're going to archery hunt, you know, you're not going to fire them. You're going to archery hunt. And, and I think you're going to, you're going to have a better chance of getting on some of these properties because, you know, a farmer doesn't know me doesn't know how I treat firearms. So they might be concerned that, okay, I might, you know, shoot the wrong direction, shoot at your house, shoot it, you know, something I'm not supposed to, but with archery, you don't have to worry about that because, you know, you're far enough away. You can send that arrow, you know, good long ways, but we're not shooting up in the air. We're shooting mm -hmm. down and we're shooting level and they're not going to go that far. Without a uh, doubt, archery is going to get you into places that you wouldn't get if you were going in there with a rifle. I mean, and a lot of times, maybe you have a landowner that maybe he rifle hunts only, you know, for a week out of the year. But if you're like, when he realizes that you're archery and you're not going to be in there when he's in there, you know, I've seen guys get permission that way where he's like, oh, you're yeah. just a bow hunter. Well, that's fine. You know, I rifle on out here, though. You can't rifle on whatever. So, yeah, your odds of getting permission on somewhere you know, they're not as good as what they used to be places, but at the same time, you're definitely going to have better odds, uh, but with bow than a rifle for sure. Yeah. And one thing that Nebraska changed is their archery season goes nonstop from September 1st to December 31st, including the firearm season. Mm -hmm. So you can be out there with a bow during firearm season. You just have to wear orange. Yep. And if you're going to do that, you have to wear your orange. But then in muzzleloader season, it's the whole month of December. The muzzleloaders have to wear orange, but the archers out there at the same time don't have to wear orange. That's odd. Yeah. I don't know. Kansas muzzleloader is actually the beginning of the season here. It kicks off um, at the same time as archery does uh, September 11th for, you know, right after youth season there. 
Um, and you do have to wear orange in Kansas during muzzleloader, but it's only for like a week there. And then it's straight archery, but you can, yeah, you can bow hunt all the way through all the seasons. Um, you just have to wear orange during firearms, any firearms here in Kansas, but we don't have the extended muzzleloader season like you guys do either. Yeah. So maybe that has something to do with it, but that still seems odd, I guess, but. Well, and it's in December too. So, um, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask you guys that came in parks and I was like, why is it? Why is that? I'll have to ask them. Maybe, times. maybe it has to do with the lack of foliage and, you know, being able to, I, I don't know, deer don't see color anyway. You know, some colors they do, I guess they see blue and, and some of those really well. So, but you know, you're going to look like more of a blob, I guess, if you're wearing just straight orange versus, yeah. Camp. I don't know. Maybe that was the people who didn't want to wear it, at least their argument against it. But uh, it seems weird <laughs> to me. But yeah, yeah, it seems weird. I and I just spent the weekend with some people from Gaming Park. So I was like, I didn't even think about asking them. I'll have to, I'm going to try and get one of the um, uh, Nebraska uh, con conservation officers and law enforcement officers on the podcast. One of these, I'm going to kind of call them and that'd be a question to ask them when they're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, and maybe it has to do with, I'm sure the buzzloader season is not as, uh, there's probably not nearly as many muzzleloader hunters out there as there is during the general firearm no. season either. So that's oh, oh, yeah, there's some of it as well. But yeah, that'd be interesting. There's thousands of them during the firearm season. For sure. Yep. I've got a good buddy that lives in Nebraska now and he, you know, he, he hunts. And so we talk about that type of stuff. I've actually been to Nebraska turkey hunting before. So done that and little experience with Nebraska anyway. Nebraska is a pretty cool state. It's got a lot of diversity, you know, from the West to the East half. It's all, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy how diverse the state actually is. So well, out in the western, you have a lot of mule deer, and then you get a bit further east, and then you have mule deer and whitetails mixed. And then on this end of the state that I'm on, on the east end, we don't have any mule deers here that I've, I've never seen one, just always whitetails. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we have, you know, varieties of turkeys, and, um, you know, you, you got to hunt them muleys differently than you do the whitetails. Oh, for sure. Yep. Yep. I grew up, we had primarily mule deer around here when I grew up. Um, and now we have mostly whitetails they've kind of taken over um so and I, I i don't know all the reasons you know for all of that speculation is what i've got but uh i guess uh, you know and we've talked to some people too within the kansas department of wildlife and parks and you know i don't don't think anybody truly knows i still think they're trying to put their you know put the pieces of the puzzle together on why muleys are getting moved out and whitetails are taken over um you know, out here, I'm sure poaching was an issue because we've got roads every mile and muleys don't tend to be as elusive. You know, they're not as they'll stand out in the middle of the fields in the middle of the day and, you know, things of that nature. So during rifle season, they're definitely more susceptible. They would definitely be more susceptible to poaching, but I'm sure there's disease. Um, you know, some people have theories on whitetails pushing them out, being a more aggressive species, more adaptable species. So there's a lot of there's a lot of theories and different ideas about about what happened there but it's kind of sad to see it go away though from growing up and hunting muleys all the time to now i mean you're just excited when you see one so yeah yeah that's it it all changes you know the, the oh yeah uh, uh, you know the amount of housings in there the, the crops you know you're losing crops and then you know the, the muleys you know like the more open space and as you take away the open space that you know i can see where they would 
you know, move out into more open space and hundred percent habitat loss, um, chemicals, you know, chemicals would be at this point for upland birds, turkey populations. And you got to think where, where do mule deer inhabit? They're more in your open crop fields, you know, things of that nature more often. So maybe that does have something to do with it. You know, they're probably more susceptible to being hit with chemicals. Your whitetails are more down in creek bottoms and places, you know, where they're going to be away from that um, more often, not all the time, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know, but I know, you know, with some of the newer farming practices and all the chemicals, it can't be good for the wildlife. You know, I mean, no. I there's, there's a direct correlation to since we've been seeing more of the no-till practices and things out in this area, the populations of all of our game species are dropping off. So there's got to be, there's got to be something there. Yeah, there's, there's a correlation. It's just, you know, what do we do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to adapt. Well, we've been talking, it uh, looks like almost about an hour and a half now, so. <laughs> Sorry, blinds, sun's getting in my face. Well, you, you had you had raccoon stripes on your face for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I finally noticed it, so I should have <laughs> shut that up, but. Yeah, oh well, that's all right. <laughs> Make, makes an interesting video. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well. What would you like to say to our audience in closing? I don't know. I'll just kind of reiterate what I said earlier. You know, I mean, I'm going to look at it from a hunter standpoint, um, you know, since that's what brought me into archery and that's what keeps me in archery is, is hunting. Um, and just, you know, good luck to everybody this season. Um, hunt your hunt. Shoot what makes you feel happy and just have fun. Don't worry about don't worry about what other people are doing. Hunt for you and. Like I said, have fun, kill what you want to kill. So, yeah, good point. You know, you want to kill it, kill it. Just exactly. Make sure you eat it. As long as you're hunting legally and ethically, then you know, do what makes you happy. Yeah, that, that's that's good advice to you know everybody. Just no matter what you're doing, whether you're you know archery or whatever sport you're doing, you just gotta you know do make make you happy. That's what's that's what we got to do and. And I know we'll, I'll put a I'll put a link in the podcast to your um, your website. Cool. So anybody wants to contact you, they can just click on that link, go right to your website. Um, when I upload it to my YouTube channel, I have a link in there for that. And then you know, of course, anybody in the group can you know always respond back to us and go from there. But you know, by listening on podcasts, it'll be in the description as well. So if you're not listening while you're driving, you can go in there and get your link and. I just remember we 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 do this twice a week and it's a lot of fun and uh, if if you know anybody that is uh, interested in talking about archery, uh, you know, let me know because we'd be glad to have you on. Uh, there's there's no requirement other than we start talking about archery, and we get in whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> all over the board. Yeah, yeah, all over the board. It's just wherever it is, and you know, no specific agenda. And start archery you know talk archery that's it for sure yeah well my name is Roy Canterbury I've been your host on Archie Talk 101 and we'll see you on the next one